and Wendy on the compulsive overeater and bulimic. And I'm, I'm, I'm bulimic to the core. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking about it. It's kind of like, you know, the compulsive eating is like my default mechanism. And it's kind of where I go. You know, without the program, if I don't have the spiritual fortitude, I go right to wanting to eat, even though I know it's not going to fix me. And it's really weird, because I, I just turned 10. I don't feel like I'm really an old-timer, because I'm not. It's, I only have a day, and I came in the program in 1982, and I only have 10 years. So, but when I came into program, I mean, I was... Binging and purging 24-7. And I, I think towards the end, you know, I was eating for enough water. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, it worked for me for a really long time. I think that's part of the reason, you know, I would go back to it. It's because I maintained my weight for 30-something um, years. When I was 14, and I, and, oh, I guess I went through, um, what is it, uh, Puberty, thank you. No, when I was 12 or 13, and I, I was a normal weight, and when I went to puberty, it was like I woke up one morning and I was 40 pounds overweight. Same thing happened to me when I went to menopause. Kind of like I was moving along fine, and then one day it was like, wow, what happened? I can't fit it in my clothes. So I can gain weight, like, just by breathing in and breathing out, and I can gain 10 pounds in a day. So uh, a little bit about my background is, you know, um, I came from a household where, uh, first of all, I grew up in the 50s, so nobody spoke about anything. Nobody spoke about their feelings. My dad was very, very angry, um, so like the only thing that was actually expressed was rage. Everybody was terrified of him except for me. I'm the only one in the family that, that really had a voice. I'm the youngest of two, of three girls. And you know, in the 50s, you didn't speak to your parents. You didn't say anything. You didn't talk about your feelings. And I was always saying something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't, I wasn't trying to be mean. I just, if I could, if I saw something, and like, I don't know what it was, but you know, everything was unspoken. It was, it was all inside. Nobody was saying how they felt, even though you could see they were really angry. Or, you know, nobody was saying anything, even though, they might be afraid or they might have a feeling about something nobody was saying anything and I could just kind of sense it so like if my dad I remember one day we moved uh, when I was in first grade and my best friend in, my, in our old place was right across the street and I loved it and I didn't want to move and one day my dad said well you know we moved we moved because of you kids we wanted a better life and I said no you didn't we moved because you wanted to. I was happy where I was. You didn't ask my opinion. So that's me at, like, you know, elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> and then something happened. Um, well, my parents always fought. My grandmother, was my dad's mom, lived with us until I was 16. And she was always trying to run the house. And my mom, it was a big thing for my mother. She didn't like it, and she didn't know what to do about it. And my mother and father would fight all the time, and they would fight downstairs in the basement where my dad worked. Now, uh, how my other sisters didn't know anything was going on, because we talked about it later, I have no clue, but I always heard it, and I always came out, and I always, you know, could sense this thing. I think that's something about us addicts. I think we just have the sensitivity that maybe other people don't have. When my mom 
was dying and my older sister was, she was visiting and stuff, and then she would, she would say to me like, wow, Dad's really like this. How did you know that? And I would say, well, how did you not know that? I, I don't know how you didn't know this. So anyway, um, it was exciting, and, and my mom ran up the stairs, and she was saying, okay, that's it, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out or whatever, and she went in the bedroom and locked the door, and I had to go down, and my dad would say, you better unlock the door, because she was taking pills, and she was going to try to commit suicide. So I did, and it was a big deal, of course, nobody talked about it, and my dad came home, and he just said, you have to be really careful, what you I was told you have to be really careful what to say around your mom. And, you know, because I was a speaker, I just suddenly said, oh, I better not say anything. And the interesting thing is, like, maybe a year or so later, the bulimia showed up. And when I started growing up, I stopped talking. Suddenly, I didn't have to have an opinion. And, you know, I talked, I've heard of the bulimic share this, that they say that that is so again. I don't know, but that's what happened to me. And I remember sitting, eating dinner was like this horrible horrible thing. When my, we sat down to dinner with my dad. Usually we didn't because he was working, but when we did, it was like we picked one person to, to um, attack. <laughs> it was horrible. So if you were chosen, you know, they would be saying all these horrible things about you, and every time my mother was picked, she'd start crying, and she'd, you know, leave the room and stuff. And I remember when I suddenly didn't have to have an opinion anymore, and I would sit at the dinner table and listen to all of this, and I never had to say anything, and I was just like, wow, this is like, this is like really amazing, but I lost my voice. I lost my voice through this disease, and I remember when I was 20, and I met my first spiritual teacher, and we were, you know, we're like family, and we were really tight, and I couldn't speak. I think for a year, I might have just said hello, and how are you, but I couldn't, I couldn't talk. And um, when I came into recovery, that is when I had to get my voice back. And it was really scary. Because I thought I could kill somebody, but that's from my mom. I thought that if I said something, you know, or I got angry or expressed an emotion, I could kill you. And that was really scary for me. I had to learn, I had to learn in program how to do that. And I, and I never had a therapist who, when I got really angry, it was the first time I expressed anger at the gas station. And this guy really pissed me off. And I started, you know, fuck you and screaming at him and stuff. And it scared the shit out of me. And when I told her, she started laughing. And she just said, you know, you're just going to have to learn how to work that out. And I, That's what I have learned how to work that out. Through this program and through my spiritual work. And, you know, for those of you who are new or having trouble with the spiritual part of the program, thank God for me that is what attracted me to this program. I, I started studying spiritually when I was 20, and that's way before I came into program. And, you know, every time I would pray to God about something, he would send me spiritual help. And it was kind of like, really, I really want to stop growing up. I don't really want this, but this is what, this is what it's been. So when I found out about the 12 steps and I came in the program, and I read the 12 steps, it's like, oh, this I can get. I can do this it's about God. And you know, the truth is, in the beginning, I had to learn how to eat all over again. Um, and I remember, you know, um, they say get a sponsor and get somebody who has what you want. I say get a sponsor who you can be completely honest with and tell anything to. Rather, whether they have what you want or they don't. My sponsor now, 
doesn't really particularly have what I want. I don't want to be gay. I don't want to have a child. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, um, but, but I see the way she lives her life. And she seems to share. She's completely honest. And, you know, I can tell stuff that I may not really want to tell anybody else. You know, Tony was my sponsor the same way. I don't want to be a gay guy either. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't want him as my sponsor. I was sort of giving him to him. But I can tell him anything. I can tell him anything. Now, I walked out my seat with him. I drove him crazy. Probably why he fired me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had a lot of sponsors. I, I share kidding me that, you know, by the time I'm 30, probably every one of you will sponsor me. A lot of old parents have sponsored me, so and I'm grateful for that. You know, and I was thinking today, you know, what I wanted my life to be was I wanted to get married and, and be with somebody forever. I started looking for my husband when I was in first grade. <laughs> Kenneth Ackerman, who was the first candidate. And then I wanted a, I wanted a career. I, I wanted to actually be an actress because I fell into it. It wasn't any, something I really wanted to do, but we went to camp. And I was always pitched for the lead. And it was fun. It was so fun, like, getting into another character. And then, but, you know, and then my dad was in the kind of business that he could get me into the high school of performing arts. But it was, and he finally said, you can go. But he always, they always discouraged me. Everything I wanted to do, I was discouraged. And I didn't have the strength inside of me to just say, well, Okay, I don't know why that is. My mother said, the most profound thing my mother said to me once was she said, you know, Wendy, you are really independent and if you really wanted to be an actress, you wouldn't have listened to us. And I went, you know, that's really true. So I think my life has been God-directed all along. I don't think that's the career I should have been in. But I wanted a career and I wanted a job that I would be at for like 30 years. That has not been my story. I've had a million jobs and I was like in the restaurant business. And I wanted to open a restaurant. Well, that was crazy. And then, um, you know, then I fell into bookkeeping and I wanted a job where I would be there forever. And it's kind of like, no, I mean, I got fired, I left jobs. But I had great jobs and then the job fell apart, like they lost their business. So um, my life has been moving around. And it's kind of like God puts me where I'm supposed to be next. This year has been the hardest. Well, one of the hardest years, you know, I mean, every year is fucking hard. And they are happy to say. Sorry about my language, but I'm from New York. <laughs> and it doesn't mean anything to me, you know. Saying fuck is like the same thing as saying hello. <laughs> it just has to have a good meaning. You know, put, put richness to it. But, you know. So sorry about that if I offend anyone. Um, anyway, um, I forgot what I was saying, but... Um, Oh yeah, the hardest year, and every year has been really hard. But this year, actually, the last four years ago, I was laid off from a job, and it, and I had given my soul to that job. Big mistake. Don't give your soul away. But anyway, and I worked so hard, and it was done, and I and it was over, and I. I had turned 60 and I didn't want to do bookkeeping anymore and I, I really want to do end-of-life care and that hasn't panned out. But I mean, I was out of work for three years. Then I got a job. <laughs> it was so hard. I didn't really want a full-time job. I'm a bookkeeper. He want, they wanted me to be 
more of an executive assistant, and I'm not techy. I'm, I'm still old school. I like to talk to people on the phone. I don't really like emails. It's just faster on the phone. They can clear things up to get a like connection. So that was so hard for me, and you know, um, then I was out of work again, and my, I had an appointment for a little while, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and I was sending out resumes every day. And one day, I mean, I was like, I don't know how I was going to pay my rent, and one day I said, okay, God, and I said it out loud, I said, come on, God, I'm doing all the footwork, and you got to help me out here. And that afternoon, I got a call, and I have a job now, and it's perfect. Of course, I don't know how long it will last. It's fine, and we're doing great with each other, and it's bookkeeping, and I go into the eleven to four, and started out two days a week, but now it's five, and you know, see where that goes, but it's paying the rent. And I, it's the first time I went, you know what? I can trust God. Mm-hmm. I really can trust in God, because I had a lot of trouble with that trust thing. And my life is really different. I mean, I, I lived in a place for eleven years, I couldn't pay my rent. I had to move and downsize and in a very different part of town. Um, you know, this program promises us freedom. <laughs> I had a friend say, say, freedom isn't doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is being able to be yourself. And that's true. That is what's happening to me after 10 years. I'm starting to discover who I am, and I'm, I'm starting to be comfortable with myself. That is extraordinary because I spent my whole life trying to fit in, trying to be like you because I wasn't. You know, with my family, I was the black sheep in the family. Couldn't be like them. Why can't you be like your sister? She's so happy and whatever. I couldn't do that. And, I, and you know, I, I used to even, I remember, I, I like kind of hanging out with guys. And they eat a lot and they can eat a lot more. And I would try to eat like them. And, well, I could only do that if I was growing up. So, you know, now I don't do that, and so I'm having to learn how to be myself. You know, I'm restored to sanity. I'd say in the food area, I have been restored to a modicum of sanity. And that is because when I was young, and I don't believe I was a compulsive overeater from the get-go. I, I really was, and I was very normal with my food. My, my sisters had, my, you know, the middle sister who's close, she's a year older than I am, she had the problem, and it was always about her weight. My mom was anorexic, which I didn't know about until I got into program, and so she was never eating. I was always very proud of the fact that she wasn't eating. She was on diets when I think I started when I was on 12 metrocals, something. I used to go in the bathroom and spill it out, so I wasn't eating. And, um, you know, so it's kind of like when I came back into program, sorry I'm all over the place, but when I came back into program, I had to learn how to eat again. When I came in in 82, I think I had just gotten rid of gray sheets, but it was sort of like, don't eat sugar, don't eat white flour, eat three meals a day. And I did that, and, and um, that was really, I used to kind of sponsor every time I had to eat a pie because I wanted to throw up so bad. And then, um, and then it became like I was, I was very uncomfortable because it felt like too much food. So then I had a sponsor who, before how, was weighing and measuring her food, and so I started doing that. I learned how to eat. And I was in Hal for a little while when I moved here, and um, that helped because it helped me figure out portions. But I can't eat protein, fruit, and vegetable at every meal. I just can't do it. And I failed there. I was, you know, one of the things that got me out, really it was about relationships. The two times that I left was because of a failed relationship, but 
um, I never thought to stay. Uh, and to talk to my sponsor about it. I don't know why, it just didn't, it never occurred to me. But um, I felt that I was a failure. And so when I came back and um, to program this time, and Tony was sponsoring me, he said, you just have to find a way of eating up that you can live with. Mm-hmm. And that, I went, okay, I could do that. So immediately I stopped eating breakfast. I never liked eating breakfast, ever. It's such a freedom for me. I drink coffee in the morning. Sometimes I have juice, and um, that's it. And I usually don't eat lunch until like one or two o'clock in the afternoon, and that's me. And you know, it's changed over the years. I'm 64, and um, <laughs> and I can't eat the kind. Of, I don't think I could ever really eat a lot of food. That's just the truth. And my my food's changed a lot, and I've experimented a lot. I know people get all weird about, you know, the thing about experimenting. I, I'm all for it. I, if I have a sponsor who's struggling with something, I'd say, well, check it out. See if it works for you. I mean, you'll never know if it doesn't work for you. I used to think I had to give up coffee. And I was, you know, what I'm trying to kind of like, okay, I had to give up coffee. And I would put it on my abstinence list. So that I would put it back. And I would take it off and put it back and take it off. And I'm glad I did that. Because one day, I said, you know what? I like coffee. I like the way it smells. And I want it. And as soon as I stopped, I said, okay, I'm going to have it. Coffee's not an issue for me. Because I was drinking like, you know, 20 cups a day because I thought it was going to be the last time I ever drank coffee. And I did the same thing with popcorn. You know, it's kind of like, well, I shouldn't eat popcorn because, you know, snack food or whatever. And then so I was going to put it on my abstinence list and then I was taking bags of it home and eating it because it was the last time. And one day I just said, you know what, I want to eat popcorn. I just like it. And now, every now and then, I eat it, and it's not an issue. So, I'm funny. You know, my nature is funny. It's kind of like if I say I'm never going to do something ever again, I'm going to want. I'm going to think about it all the time. And I was talking to my sponsor about it like a couple of years ago, because I was trying to give something up, and and I said, but all I'm doing is thinking about it. She goes, yeah, but isn't it better that you're not having it? And I said, no, I I'm thinking about it all the time. I can't think about God. We're starting all of this because all I'm doing is thinking about that food. So I have to be very careful, you know, with my abstinence about what I'm not eating and what I... And, I, you know, one of the things about being here for so long that I really love is that the old-timers, not because they're so wise and have so much wisdom, but they have a lot of experience. And so you hear things... And I, I hear things from newcomers that are doing stuff, and I go, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, I heard somebody share that they're... Their abstinence is, you know, 90, 10, 90% of the time they eat really right and some of the time they choose other things. I love that. But I say 95% of the time I do eat really clean. And then once in a while, I want something and I choose to eat it. You know, I've been eating popcorn at night for the last week. The person I get it from, I don't cook it myself because I don't, it's better when I, I go to the farmer's market. They know me there. And, you know, I, when I used to be out there eating, <laughs> I used to go to a re- I, my, got off, I got off my restaurant job at 2 o'clock in the morning. There was a Chinese food that, uh, restaurant that was open. I went grocery shopping, but then I went to this Chinese restaurant. And I ordered food that was enough for a family of four. And they thought I had I went, a whole husband, and they were waking up and having dinner with me, and I had two kids. <laughs> and I don't have to do that anymore. I go to the farmer's market. She goes, oh, popcorn. I go, yeah, I'm having it again. It's, it's, 
it's great and it's fine and that's what I want. And, you know, last night when I think I'm done with eating popcorn for a little while. So, you know, we'll, just, we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, and, and um, I do learn so much from everybody. I mean, I remember when I was new and this old time I was sharing about, or his sponsor was sharing about, well, my sponsor said to me, you could have whatever you want as much as you want as long as you're willing to pay the price. And sometimes when I want something that I know my body may react to, I go, do you want to pay the price? Sometimes I don't, and sometimes I do. And sometimes I do it, and it's fine. And then, you know, for a day or two, like, my body hurts. Not because I binge, but because it, it, doesn't, it affects me not so well. But I, I wanted to say, because I'm wrapping up, is that I love this program. And, and for those of you who are struggling, I know this is, a, this is the place that I come for a solution. There's a lot of stuff to do out there, but they've never done it. They've never done it. They've, I've made a gained experience from it, but they've never given me the answer. And coming back the third time, each time I came back, this is a place I could get out from it. Why? I don't know. And I don't have to question it. I just know that this is the place where I get out from it. And I think it's, you know, when one or two or more are gathered together, there is God. And when you have a strong group of people that are working for the same solution, there's a lot of strength in that. And, and um, you know, 10 years I've been coming is kind of extraordinary. Not that I had 10 years of accident. I mean, that's a miracle. But my, my abstinence isn't perfect. It's not, you know, it's not like I eat this every day and I'm a little animal that's giving food. And it's not like that. Um, but it's that I've been coming here for 10 years, and I know people. I love that. I just, I love that, you know, the history that's built up. Before I was really sad when we moved from kitchen sink. I said, yeah, it was dirty and it was this and it was that, but it, it had an energy about it, and I loved it there. I still miss it. But I hope that someday, you know, this meeting will have that power that the other did. But we're we're the power. God's the power. That's the truth. It doesn't really matter what the outer package is. And that's the same for this body. It doesn't really matter what the outer package is. It's getting old. It's getting savvy. It doesn't function the way it used to. And you know what? You have to love it at every moment. Because when I was 20, I hated my body. So, anyway... Thanks for coming back to This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, please remember, if you ask the question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. Nick. Yeah. It's changed a lot, a whole lot. I grew up, uh, both my parents were Jewish. Um, they came from Orthodox families, but my dad's mom turned Christian science, and so she, her two kids went to Sunday school. So when we, she lived with us, and when we, um, we went to Sunday school, we stayed home for Jewish holidays, but we learned nothing about the Jewish religion. And I'm kind of grateful for that. That was my first spiritual 
starting to speak because it was kind of like I would question my parents about it. Like, why are we staying home for holidays? We don't go to temple. Well, because that's what we have to do. And you know, Sunday school, when I was 12, I came home because some guy said, some, some boy said something about Jewish people and I didn't want to go and so they said, okay. And um, that started my spiritual quest and I, I'm, you know, I'm science math oriented so there was a period of time when I said, oh, maybe God doesn't exist. But there was too much evidence for me, even even at a young age. But my grandmother, God bless her, I know she didn't mean it to do this to me, but she carried a Bible around with her, and you know I was very outspoken. So she would always say, she would always say when I was saying something to her, she didn't like. She would say, "God is love; He sees no evil." And so I interpreted that as I was evil, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that until I came in the program. I mean, I came into my spiritual life, and when I was 20, I met my first spiritual teacher. That changed everything. My dimension, the dimensionality of life was suddenly not, you know. But it didn't answer this particular problem. When I came into program and I started, you know, I read the first few steps, came to believe in Paris, you know, I'm, first of all, my life is unmanageable. That is obvious. And somebody said to me, somebody said at a meeting, if you have a trouble with your power, so to speak, switch it around. I'm passed over life and my food is unmanageable. And I went, well, I can really do that. So, so, um, and then, you know, came to believe in the power greater than yourself. Because I believed in the power greater than myself, but I didn't realize that I believed to do it for everybody that knew because I'm evil. And then, step three, you know, made a decision to turn a little on our life over to the care of God. As I understood and I don't understand them. You know, I came into problem thinking I knew more than I do not. I know now, I know really very, very little. And I don't understand God. And my whole outlook on God has changed. But you know, people say they do outside, they go to, to, they go for outside help. Every outside thing I ever do is about spiritual stuff. So I grow spiritually. I'm not really concerned about like taking a class or learning this or learning that. I want to know more about God. And, um, you know, now my spiritual thing is, I know God is not doing it. He's not over there doing anything. God's in every one of us. It's our soul. It's who we are. That is what it, that's what it is for me. And, and, you know, I have Wendy, who's this body complex, and then I have a soul. And, you know, they say that, that you're, 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 you're a human having a spiritual experience. No, you're, you're a soul having a human experience. And, you're, and, you're, and your body is just taking you on this trip, and your soul is gaining experience. That's how I see it now. And I don't see God as, you know, the thing. He's out there, but he's not, he's not in charge manipulating anything. He's not doing anything. We do everything we do. So that, that's a little bit of that. Thank you. Yes. Speaking of God, you said that if you're in a particular physical or Psychological state is God has put you there. And if it's if you're somewhere that you don't know what you're learning from that, I I don't think God's put me anywhere. I, I don't if I said that I that's not accurate. I believe that, you know, we are on this trip and we have certain things we need to learn. God goes with us. He's there to guide us and to help us when we don't understand. So that if I'm in a situation where I go, what the hell am I doing here? I know I must have created this somehow because I believe in karma. Um, 
and then I just I just say, okay, could you help me? You know, and then I try to look to see what what I have to learn or what's going on. I mean, I'll give you an example. Like, um, you know, I may be like walking across the street, and somebody like starts screaming at me, and, and you know, my normal reaction would be like, "Fuck you! What's wrong with you? I'm not doing anything to you." And then I just go, "Oh, karma. Maybe this guy comes here to like say fuck me." That's me when I did it to him or something. And then I just go, thank you. Okay, I'm done with that. So that's maybe the lesson I learned. That's how I see it. But that is how I see it. Thank you. Um, this feels like a program question to me. I apologize if it's not. But when you said you didn't speak except maybe hello for a year, do you mean that literally? Yes. So how did you function? I do mean that literally. I, 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 was, in a, I was in a spiritual group. Service. I did tons of service. I mean, thank you, God, for this teacher. He taught me about service. I grew up, we didn't do anything. My dad wanted boys, so we, we had to mow the lawn and we had to paint the house. But we really didn't do any chores at all. He was all about service. So he lived in New York City, had a, had a brownstone, and every Saturday he'd say to his students, come and clean the house. And you know, some of the students would I'm not going to do that. It was like I wanted to participate, and I couldn't speak, so I just went in as much as I could and did service. And that's how I survived. And I got, I had a best friend. You know, we didn't talk very much either, but, you know, he loved me, and they loved me. And then I was doing my spiritual practice. It started growing. Well, I don't have a choice. This is what my life became. And you know, it's like that's one thing that you learn in program is acceptance. I had to get into acceptance. You know, I went back to school. When I returned to 16, I decided I wanted to do end of life care. I went back to school and it was really hard. And I, I just said, I can't, first of all, I didn't have the money to continue. I couldn't work it out. I lost friends sort of because of it. And, um, and I just said, you know, if God wanted me to do this, it, 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 the doors open up. That's what always ha- That's my experience. If, if you're on the right track, doors open up. If it's, if it's obstacles and whatever, I don't know. So I, I put that on hold. And God knows he's the one that I felt was guiding me to do this. So if he wants me to do it, maybe I'll do it on a volunteer basis, or maybe it will happen at some point. But accept him. I have no choice. This is how my life has been. If I could control my life, it would be really different. It would be really different. And so would my God be different. My God would be giving me everything I want. So it isn't that's not my life. Um, you talked about being opinionated and being very comfortable. Thank you, teacher. Um, you said you talked about being opinionated and then comfortable pointing yourself at David Kidd and your mother's side, and somehow you lost your voice and that tied into Korea. I don't understand that process. Can you explain that to me? You know, I don't really know. I don't really understand why I just know that that's what is. So that's what happened to me, and that's so, and I've heard that it's it happens for bulimic. So it's, it's not like I'm alone and this is my thing. They stop talking. They don't have to have opinions. They don't have to have a voice. 
So when I got into Pogan and I got accident, my voice started speaking again, and it slipped me out. That was why, because I thought, you know, I had this thing with my mother, and, you know, you shouldn't, you don't say anything. So now I have lots of opinions. Lots and lots of opinions. And as I grow, as I grow spiritually, I have less opinions. I have less opinions. I have judgment still. I still have a lot of judgment. But I have less opinions. So I hope that helps. I don't think I was really an angry child. I was very confused. I did have a lot of anger when I, you know, when I started getting asked and did have a lot of anger. Well, the steps. I mean, you know, the book says anger is, we don't, we can't afford resentment. We just can't afford it. Um, my spiritual practice is such that, you know, when I came into this spiritual teacher four years ago, um, one of the things that he says is that, uh, we try never to hurt another person, even to the slightest extent, including their ego. That was huge for me, because it was kind of like, I would share with my sponsor, because now I have this voice after, you know, eight, five years, and I'd say, you know, and I'm very direct. If people know that I'm really direct and I'm honest. If you ask my opinion, I'm going to give it to you. It's my opinion, but I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's that truth, but it's, it's what I see. And, and, um, so, you know, I would tell my sponsor, because I, I was at this job, and I always pissed off my boss, and I, or somebody in the office, and I would say, I don't understand why they're getting pissed off, because I'm not trying to be helpful. I'm just telling them the truth. And I'm not angry. I'm not saying it in a fussy way. And then when I had, when I had this spiritual thing that I did, and it was like, you can't even hurt the ego of another human being, I went, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm not trying to hurt him, but I'm hurting his ego can't do that anymore. And when I get angry, because still, I still get angry, I work it out really fast. I try to work it out as fast as possible. And also to know that if I'm angry at you, it isn't you. It's not you. You're bringing something to me for me to work out. And it's like, oh, maybe I should have said this to him instead of like saying fuck you or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much. Um, can you talk about your journey of step nine? Oh, step nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still have some amends I haven't made. They're, they're huge financial amends. And they're kind of sitting on hold. When I first came into program in 82 and I was working my steps, I handled, I have a lot of financial shit. I just do really weird stuff with money. And when I was out there eating, I mean, I stole food. And, you know, back then it was really easy. I, I don't know how people do it now, but, I mean, I go to the grocery store and just feel sick. I mean, you know, just sick. So, um, and then I stole clothes. I mean, I stole clothes starting when I was probably 14, 15, somewhere in there. And um, so I had a lot of those amends to make. And, you know, those are pretty easy. And I made arrangement plans, arrangement plans with a lot of them, and I did pay them off. They weren't, like, huge. Um, this time coming back, um, you know, I could never make amends to my mother and father. I really couldn't. I wanted to, and I tried, but they just, you know, I'd say I'm sorry for being, like, 
such a horrible child. Oh, no, that's fine. You know. But they, they had issues with me. I, was, I had somebody in program say, you know, if you have somebody who's dead by that you, you haven't worked it out with them, find somebody who's just like them and become their friend. I thought that was a really incredible idea. However, when my parents died, something happened up there. We had the best relationship now. I went and visited them. My dad and I worked things out. He was really happy and he was loving. And I went, wow, I wish I could have known you then. Like he could have been that here, but he couldn't. He couldn't. He was in this body that was all fucked up like we are. So that was the biggest amend. Then I had an amends to somebody who I thought would be really easy to make an amends to because I was an ass at work. And, I, and she's, she's like, you know, she's very monkish and whatever and forgiving and whatever. And I thought she'd be really easy. And I went back to work for this, pers- for this, for this person who she worked for. And, and every time I saw her, I couldn't say the amends. It was just like, what would come up was like, well, fuck you. You were like this and you were like that. And, blah, blah, blah. And, and it took me a year to make that amends. And one day I was in the office. I went into the bathroom and I said, okay, I think it's time. And I went out and I said, you know, I am so sorry for being such a bitch. I was really awful. And she said, well, you know, I had no respect for you. And we hugged, and that was that. And I had one person who I did that to also at the same job. She said, you were. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't say, I'm sorry, I was too. She, but she said, it, you know, we love each other. And we're friends now. So that's, but I have huge financial amendments. A couple. Tony. Uh, you know, like, uh, you service I love service. And I told, like I mentioned, I was doing service before I came in the program, so I already knew the benefit of it. And um, I came in the program um, also still, you know, not really talking and very shy. And those of you who know me know I'm not that way anymore. I'm kind of whatever. So anyway, I came in really shy and quiet and I would see people all friendly and hugging each other and I, I couldn't like get in there. And I just needed to take a service commitment. I did coffee at Kitchen Sink for a year and a half. Schlepping the pot back and forth, you know, coming at really early in the morning. But it was really great. And, and you know, I like to do the coffee. Christian and I do it on Sunday. I like to do it because people gather. And I remember at one point at Kitchen Sink, people were saying, well, we don't want to pay for coffee. And so we did a thing. We, did a, we had a little meeting about it. And I said, no, it's, it's, it is for newcomers. And it is this little social gathering thing. People get to know each other. So um, sort of that way. And then when I did the birthday party, I was sure I'll never do that again. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not the out there person. I'm not the leader. I kind of know that my place is to support. And I like working behind the scenes. Um, but I tell you, um, service is the best thing. It is just the best thing ever. And, um, and I love it. And I do it. I see my life as like being a service. You know, when my boss asks me to do something that I don't want to do, I go, I'm here to be a service to him. Not that he's paying me, yes he is, but he's not paying me enough. I just say, I'm here to be a service to him. So I try to live my life, you know, being a service. So. Thank you. 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 Yeah, well, I think they're kind of the same 
theme, sort of. Um, I'm trying to see if they're separate from me. I don't, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I have faith that there's a higher power. I have faith that things will work out. I have faith that I'm, that I'm here for a reason. I'm here to know God and to hopefully not have to come back next time. You know, but, um, or not, I have to, I will. But, um, so I have faith in a lot of things. I have, but the trust is a little bit further. The trust goes, well, I have faith, but I also trust that I'm going to be given what I need. I'm not going to be out on the street unless I'm supposed to be. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I had to move from my house. I had to downsize in a really different neighborhood. And I used to think, I remember once I was walking my dog and I had just been there a couple of weeks and I was walking my dog and Atlas said, okay, God, could you just give me a little grace here? And he said, you are in grace. I could be in prison. Somebody ever found out what I stole from them or whatever, they could take me to court. I could be in prison really easily. So, yeah, um, trust and faith, I guess they're pretty similar to me. But my trust is stronger now because this year, like, I've seen, I've seen myself four years up against the wall, up against the wall. My friends always say, you know, when God takes you to the end, they always, but this time, when I said to God, okay, you know, I'm doing the footwork and you got to help me out here and I get a call right away, that, I went, okay, I think I can start trusting. Oh, yeah. Hi, um, thanks for your reading. Uh, do you know what type of you have a little bit? Yeah. 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 You know, I see character defects more as my nature, and I can't really change my nature. I can do certain things that this program gives me a way to work through certain things, but my nature is my nature. I mean, I'm, I'm a bulimic. I'm always going to be a bulimic, but thank God I don't have to act on it. I'm stubborn. I probably will always have that stubbornness, but I, you know, I... And sometimes it's just there and it's nothing I can do about it. But we have these steps. You know, if something becomes a real issue, I pray about it, talk to my sponsor about it. And, and um, you know, the biggest miracle is that, you know, I, I work the steps and I'm not acting out and I'm not eating 24-7 and slowing up 24-7. That's a friggin' miracle. Okay, thanks. So I didn't <laughs>